Welcome to Imbita, where we ask the big questions about digital policy and human rights. My name is Charles Bradley, and I'm the Executive Director here at Global Partners Digital. We relaunched this podcast a few weeks back as a way of keeping track of developments in this rapidly evolving scenario, and looking at, each week, the different ways in which government responses to dealing with the pandemic are having an impact on human rights online. This week, we're talking to Evelyn Dueck on the new Facebook Oversight Board. Fantastic. Um, Evelyn, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Um, Evelyn, it'd be great for you to introduce yourself to our to our listeners. Sure. So uh, my name is Evelyn Dueck. I'm a lecturer and uh, doctoral student at Harvard Law School um, and affiliate at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society. And uh, basically what I work on is the stuff that you work on. Um, I'm interested in platform governance and online speech issues. Absolutely. And we've been uh, sort of walking in the same corridors on, on one particular thing for, for a while now, which is the Facebook Oversight Board. Um, and big developments have happened on this over the last few weeks. Um, just for our listeners, I'd love for you to sort of like take us through like the overview of, of the Oversight Board. Like what's its aim? How's it sort of structured and, and, and where we're at with it right now? Yeah, so as you said, it was big news last week um, or the week before. I don't know, time is a flat circle right now. Um, when they announced the first 20 members of the board, um, which really sort of marks its beginning of its life as an institution itself, like now it has people. So what is this thing? Um, the oversight board is its a little hard to characterise, um, but it's basically a kind of court-like institution um, being introduced into, the, into Facebook's content moderation ecosystem. So the idea is that people who are dissatisfied with their decisions, the, the, the decisions that Facebook makes about their content on Facebook uh, and Instagram, um, will be able to appeal that within the internal Facebook um, content moderation ecosystem. And if they're still unhappy, uh, they'll ultimately be able to take it to this sort of quasi-independent uh, body, um, which will be able to hear, hear appeals and issue um decisions uh, either overruling or upholding Facebook's decisions um, in, in content-based matters. Uh, it will also have some capacity to give uh, policy recommendations to Facebook um, about its rules uh, in general, so not just in individual cases. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what it is. Um, it's still kind of early days, uh, but that's sort of the rough blue, blueprint for it. Absolutely, and like the rough blueprint is about right because – this is the first time that anyone's sort of tried to stand something like this up before and um, uh, complicated but admirable of, of Facebook to try to try and to try and do that. Um, but with many uh, sort of controversies um, along along the way, um, as you say, the the members, the first initial sort of slate of members have been been um, announced, which gives us a little bit more um, sort of uh, sort of colouring in that blueprint, as it were, of like what this body is actually going to sort of look like. Um, I wonder what your sort of initial impressions were of of the first uh, of the first twenty members. Yeah, so I mean they're an impressive and, and serious bunch. Um, I don't have the list in front of me right now, but you know it includes a Nobel Peace Prize uh, winner, a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, editor, uh, a bunch of constitutional law professors. Um, you know they're they're they're, uh, they're they're a serious bunch. You know you don't look at these people and go, oh no, this thing is doomed. 
Um, I I don't actually have a lot to say about the the people in general because the questions that I'm super interested in are like institutional design and how this works um, as as a body. You know, there have been concerns raised about the diversity, and this was always going to be a problem. Um, you know, when you have the most diverse uh, constituency perhaps ever assembled, being the Facebook user base um, all around the world uh, from different cultures, um, you were never going to have them fully represented uh, in a 20 or 40 or 100 person board. Um, and there's also some concerns around um, whether they have the correct expertise. You know, these are sort of quite a legalistic or, I mean, they're not all lawyers. There's, um, you know, journalists and um, civil rights activists and things as well. Um, but, you know, they, they are sort of not um, like there's concerns about um, content moderation expertise in particular. Um, but, you know, I, I'm generally comfortable with those decisions in part because I think, you know, this body was never going to have all of that represented. It has the capacity to call on experts uh, to provide evidence in individual cases, which I think is a must um, because they're just otherwise not going to be able to know the sort of contextual situations when they're evaluating um, the contextual matters when they're evaluating, like, is this hate speech in Sri Lanka and is it dangerous, is it inflammatory? You know, these people aren't necessarily going to have the expertise to evaluate that sufficiently and so calling on experts to give evidence um, in, in that case uh, is, is probably a much more effective way of getting a good answer to that question rather than trying to have everyone um, represented on the body. So, uh, yeah, look, I'm... I'm cautiously optimistic uh, about this. But, you know, the other thing is that they are a really diverse group. And I think that this raises a question that we sort of need to be thinking about as well. It's like, are they going to be able to agree on anything? Like, if you've got these 20 people coming from all sorts of different perspectives, um, are they going to be able to find any sort of consensus and, and be, be able to issue sort of coherent um in either individual decisions or a course of jurisprudence that sort of is consistent with each other because um, that, that could definitely be an issue. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. And it, the, the, the board sort of fit, um, sort of sits between these two uh, other sort of uh, analogous structures of an actual oversight board and mechanism that we would understand in, in a different context and also a, a court-like system. Um both of which need different types of people and different sort of structures and different um, um, sort of onboarding and coherence making and all those sort of things that sort of make each of those different institutions um, work uh, to be able to build, to, to find consensus. And the, as you say, the, the institutional questions of um, how that's designed is, is, is really important. But it has this sort of board type sort of name and structure to it, but it's sort of has a sort of court-like um, system behind it where it's taking individual cases and making decisions which will then, you know, uh, create this jurisprudence, as you say, uh, for, for future um, decisions. Um, this sort of Supreme Court-style sort of um, analogy has uh, um, been going for, for a long time, but, but once because it was actually sort of called it um, by a certain person from, from Facebook and then sort of quickly tried to debunk that um, into 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 more of the board uh, question. Um, and in your recent sort of article, um, you, you say that it, you know, it might end up as this Supreme Court for uh, conduct decisions, or it might just end up as this sort of uh, optional consultant. Um, what do you think of the sort of the factors and dynamics that will end up sort of deciding which road uh, this this board ends up taking? 
So there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, and I guess I can just sort of press on what I see as the most important here. And I, um, I can't talk about the oversight board uh, without talking about my disappointment in its limited jurisdiction. Um, I pretty much every article or post that I've written about this thing over the past 18 months, I have been hammering on about how it needs to be given uh, the capacity to hear cases across a wide range of Facebook's kinds of decisions in order for it to be, to have meaningful oversight over what Facebook does. And so by that, I mean, so, so the, the, the big disappointment over the past 18 months is that its jurisdiction has been steadily narrowed and narrowed and narrowed. And at startup, it looks like it's only going to be decisions about content that Facebook has taken down um, and challenges to that as, as to whether Facebook should put it back up. Now, that is such a tiny fraction of the kinds of decisions that Facebook makes about the content based on its site. I mean, not least of which um, content that Facebook leaves up that people think should be taken down. That's often some of the most controversial decisions. You know, we think about um, the, the infamous uh, Nancy Pelosi video that was manipulated to, um, to make it look like she was slurring her speech and was drunk, um, that Facebook refused to take down. Or we can think about hate speech in Myanmar um, that, you know, obviously... Um, had really devastating effects um, and, and Facebook wasn't quick enough um, in removing their um, a bunch of these decisions uh, are all about Facebook's content that it, that it left up. That's not even the end of it. Like we need to, I think, be talking about um, algorithmic oversight and the way that Facebook uh, manipulates its marketplace of ideas, so to speak, um, and, and, and how it slants the, um, and tilts the scale uh, in that respect, um, as well as things like groups, pages. You know, I could go on and on and on. Basically, the board has this tiny, tiny fraction of oversight over the platform at the, at the startup. And that to me is, is the biggest disappointment. Um, you know, obviously the board is not going to be able to hear very many, anything but the tiniest fraction of appeals from decisions that Facebook makes. Facebook makes millions, literally millions of decisions every day. The board, you know, if we're lucky, will release something like 100 a year, um, you know, maybe even less than that, given that these people are going to be working part-time. So the point is not individual error correction, but the idea being that it should have oversight over the consequential decisions that Facebook makes and, and make decisions in a few high-profile cases um, that checks what Facebook's doing um, and has a broader effect across the platform. So that's my... my my big, um, my big disappointment and the, and the reason why every time I speak publicly about this, I try to put the fire under Facebook and say, you promised us the Supreme Court and now you've given us something like a local district court. Um, what's the go? So uh, I'm glad I got that out uh, on this podcast. Um, you know, the other thing I think the key determinant here, um, and this is where I go against the grain a little bit. So the binding nature of the oversight board's uh, power is actually very limited. It's only in the individual case with respect to the individual piece of content that it's making a decision about. Um, everything else is, uh, is, is either sort of Facebook will take as a recommendation or it will implement the decision um, in, in identical cases if it sees it as technically and operationally feasible, which is a bit of a weasel word, a phrase. So, you know, it's hard to tell 
um, what that means. Um, I'm actually not as concerned about that very small binding power as other people are, mainly because I just don't see it as being really feasible to give the board, which is going to be a slow-moving kind of body, um, a binding power too broadly uh, because things on Facebook, you know, move so fast and, and are so contextual and are constantly changing um, that I think that, um, that leaving it as sort of like this, this recommendation thing that Facebook is um, obliged to respond to publicly and say whether it took the recommendation on board. I think that that's still a really positive case for the board. Um, it'll create this kind of dialogue between the board and Facebook about what recommendations it did and didn't adopt and why. Um, and I think that can be really positive, um, provided that Facebook engages in that process in good faith. Um, mm. And that's a big sort of caveat. Um, and that's the other really key determinant of how influential this board is going to be, um, because we can have this really productive discourse and dialogue between these two branches about what's going on on Facebook's platform, and that could bring a lot of sunlight into the process, which is currently entirely opaque, and that would be great, um, but it does really require Facebook to, um, you know, come through on this bet that it's making um, that the oversight board will give it legitimacy uh, and, and will be a positive thing for its platform. But we just have to wait and see. Absolutely. And a really important point that it is making this bet. This is not a, a small investment. This is, you know, a multiple uh, million dollar uh, project. It's got a lot of press. It's getting a lot of attention. Um, and uh, you, you one has to sort of hope and uh, you know, acting good faith on this side of the table to to, uh, to engage in this process and to sort of support it and try and make it better. To think that Facebook is also going to do the same and not just spend uh, this amount of money and time and everyone else's effort um, on something that it doesn't look at in terms of the broader um, the the broader impact as well. And I think that comes back to your your point on the members because um, the the membership that has you know have been slated very important for those uh, and, and very broad diverse sort of representation um particularly when looking at these individual individual um cases and whether it you know the decision was correct or not and whether it should be reversed or upheld um but those broader policy recommendations that should get into the things that uh you and I want to see this board discussing in terms of um actual uh, the processes internally of uh, content moderation and um, the the training of moderators and the efficacy and efficiency of the system itself, um, rather than those individual cases, does look like it requires some people that understand content moderation processes and procedures and the, the sort of the algorithmic dimension of that, given the the increasing uh, reliance on that. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how the the membership might need to evolve as the scope um does evolve and, and the aperture of that opens up over, over time as they promised yeah i think that's a really important point because i think often when we talk about content moderation decisions we talk about them uh in the context of like individual cases that are particularly high profile or particularly controversial and we end up resorting to these sort of platitudes about free speech and high principle uh, and things um but but, but very often, a lot of the like the way that the rules are written for a, a, a platform like Facebook uh, and the, the scale that it operates, a lot of it comes down to as well what is operationalizable and what 
could be implemented at scale. And we can talk about high principle of free speech all we like, um, but if we don't have the technical capacity to actually implement you know, the rules uh, in any particular way, that conversation is kind of meaningless. And so I think it's absolute, you're absolutely right um, that the oversight board, um, like, if it's not sort of engaging in that process as well of, like, trying to get Facebook to talk more about what is actually happening within the platform and what is technically possible uh, at any given moment, um, it's going to be having this nice little highfalutin conversation off to the side that's going to be basically irrelevant to most people's experience of Facebook every day. So, yes, I think that's that's really, really crucial. And, again, it just it does um, – it will depend on Facebook um, being, you know, coming through on what it has promised and and – being upfront and honest about those technical capacities in the submissions that it makes to the board and in the responses that it gives to the board's recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just bringing it back into the, the the current climate, obviously we're in this incredibly, um, you know, testing time for, for lots of different individuals and companies all over the world, given the, the COVID-19 um, uh, pandemic and content moderation has uh, been a, bi- a big debate right now, but particularly because of um, uh, the actual operational um, issues of, of content moderation during um, times where you, we, we require social distancing, as well as the the, the content and the, the questions that are being taken on how Facebook should take down certain um, health-related misinformation, etc. Um, it feels like the oversight board should have some sort of role to play or could play at, at, at this particular time or in or in future situations that we find ourselves in like this um i wonder whether you thought like what would be the optimal role or what what you would like to see an oversight board like this be playing um during a pandemic or during um this particular situation in covid19 um on on its relationship with facebook yeah, so this is such a great question and we could get like really sort of existential or philosophical about like the role of checks and balances in emergency situations more generally. You know, the idea mm-hmm. of like in, in emergencies and when you invoke emergency powers, kind of the idea behind that is you need quick and decisive action um, and that you maybe don't have as many checks and balances as you do in normal operating um, conditions because of the, the emergency. Um, but on the other hand, emer- checks and balances can be especially important in that context if um you know if the executive or here facebook is being particularly heavy-handed uh in the civil liberties that it's uh, infringing and things so you know we get we get really philosophical and write um you know several dissertations about that but sort of to try and bring it back down to earth here's kind of what i think you know one of the co-chairs michael mcconnell um has this uh, great quote that ended up, he knew as he was saying it that it was going to end up in every press story that was written about um, the oversight board afterwards. Um, you know, this body is not intended to be the internet speech police. They're not like the first line responders. Um, that is still going to be all about Facebook and its content moderation staff and its executive teams um, t- taking the rapid action in individual cases. That's not what this body is, is going to be doing. And so uh, in, in, in the context of something like the pandemic, a lot of that's still going to be um, Facebook making the decisions. But the body, the oversight board, can provide a good safety check against that um, to, to just sort of like if Facebook does, if 
if there is sort of a tilt far too far in one direction or another, um, the board can step in and sort of recorrect that. So, you know, we can, we can take an example of like conspiracy theories that are, that are going, going viral really, really quickly, like the now infamous pandemic video, um, you know, that went viral in like and, and had millions of views within a couple of days. And that's just not something where the board is going to be able to step in and be a circuit breaker in that situation. That's just too fast. Um, that's going to still be on Facebook. But in, an, in the aftermath of that, um, the board can still sort of evaluate the actions that Facebook took, um, check for overreach, check that they were aligned with human rights principles and, and things like that, um, get more information. It can be transparency forcing, which I think is invaluable and really um, we it should be talked about more as a real key value offering of this board. Like we still don't know a lot about how Facebook reacts in those kinds of situations. And so this dialogue that I keep talking about between the board and Facebook can be transparency forcing and saying, what did you do? And when did you do it? You know, um, what kind of, what technical tools did you decide to use in trying to hunt, this, hunt for this video and take it down? Um, and then as a result of that, start developing these protocols, as you say, for the next time. Um, you know, there is going to be another emergency, like a lot of the... Um, in the context of like plan pandemic, for example, a lot of the conversations and, and protocols that were talked about were conversations that we had in the aftermath of the Christchurch massacre video um, going viral, and it's a similar kind of conversation. And so this is a thing where we are just trying to get better at it every single time, and so we we do sadly um, need to be preparing for the next time as well. And so hopefully that's something uh, that the board can can do. Absolutely, and is. If it feels like there's at least some sort of glimmer of hope that that's even possible now, because you know, without without this board, um, the, the the shifts in policy and how certain decisions were made, um, you know, the shift in policy on a particular issue area has no sunset clause, and we have no idea whether that fit, you know, whether that actually sort of would would meet any of the human rights um, sort of tests or considerations that we'd want outside of that situation. But now we have at least some opening. Um, to, uh, to to push that through and see whether the board can um, can get a bit more uh, transparency and, and shed some light on that. Yeah, that's the that's the optimistic the, the glass half full view of the board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, we could discuss this for days and days and days. Um, thank you so much for for joining us on this, and um, uh, we'll be sure to link through to lots of the great analysis that you've done and the commentary on on the board for for our listeners. But Evan, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Oh no, it was a lot of fun. I'm always happy to talk about this. So thanks for having me on. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Evelyn. A few weeks back, we mentioned that MIT Tech Review had set up a useful new database tracking the spread of contact tracing apps around the world. The journalists working on it have just released a free podcast discussing initial findings and trends. It's, it's definitely worth a listen. And the Human Rights and Democracy Network have unveiled a new tracker of COVID-19 trackers, bringing together resources from civil-sized organisations on a wide range of issues, from freedom of expression generally to how LGBTI and migrant communities are being impacted. We'll include links to those below the podcast. Until next time, goodbye.